I'm going to read the Bible. I, this is my first week here with our newest and youngest um, member, Hugh Adams. Welcome. How good's that? Um, so, yeah. So our um, Bible reading comes from Acts 14, 8 to 20. In Lystra, sorry, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the uh, Laconian, Laconian uh, language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, oh, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got, up, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. It's a word of God. Uh, thanks, Mel. And uh, thanks, Liam and Rob, for having me preach. It's a, it's a great privilege to be here and be sharing with you guys. Uh, I look forward to entering the boxing ring with some of you later on after church. Is that what we're doing? Um, well, I... I want to start by quickly referring to something that you're probably aware of, uh, and that is that there is an election coming up. Now, how does the slide sort of system work? Do I go like that? There we go. Cool. You, so you may not know, but next uh, Saturday, is it? We're all required to vote. I don't know how you feel about that. If you're anything like me, you're probably going, oh, no, not again. Uh, what are we going to do? But in light of the upcoming election, one of the things that we often ask is what are the priorities for any of the major parties or non-major parties coming into this election? Uh, it might be things like housing affordability, disability services, the COVID response, climate change. And I wonder if you were running and if you were wanting to be elected as prime minister, what would your priorities be and what would you focus on? Maybe things like the military issues going on around the world. Maybe the public health system. And it's a tricky thing, isn't it, to determine one's priorities. And yet, as Aussies, I reckon one of our favourite pastimes is to point out where we think that others have got their priorities wrong, especially those in leadership. Uh, we do it with our sports coaches, you know, watching the footy on the weekend. Oh, why did he make that substitution? He's got his priorities all wrong, that coach. Maybe it's your boss at work where you think, oh, why did he give that person the time off? Or why did he give that, that lady the promotion? She didn't really deserve it. 
Uh, what about at church? Maybe you do that with Rob and Leah. Maybe you came to the AGM today full of fire. I don't know, I wasn't there. But uh, saying, why do we do things the way that we do them? Maybe they've got their priorities wrong. And it's easy for us to fall into distrust with our leaders when we feel like they've lost sight of their priorities. Uh, particularly politicians, we want to say, oh, they started off good, they said all the right things, but typical politicians, they're off track now. At least we think they're not very good at their jobs. And I wonder this, uh, this afternoon if that's something we sometimes fall into the trap of doing with God as well. Uh, see, how many times have you heard people say, or maybe you've said yourself, if I was God, I'd put an end to poverty. Or if I was God, I wouldn't let bad things keep happening to good people. Or if I was God, I would bring about world peace and end all wars and make people just get along. Unanswered prayers, failed plans and broken dreams. Maybe you've been tempted to think this way and conclude that you or I know better than God. Uh, and while his plans and purposes and priorities we think could be important, uh, they don't quite fit with how I want to live my life and say so those are the things that I'm going to end up living for. But behind that kind of attitude, I want to suggest that maybe there's a misunderstanding of what God is actually doing and what his priorities really are. And this afternoon, I want to spend a little bit of time as we read Acts chapter 14 uh, and find out a little bit more about what God is doing, what his plans and priorities are, and ultimately his mission. Uh, and this is a little bit of a summary statement just to show you my hand before we jump in. Uh, the goal is to find that in Acts chapter 14, we see that against the odds, God's mission is on track and that that mission is worth your life. So would you join me with me while we pray and then let's jump into Acts together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your word preserved for us right here, handed down from generation to generation so that we can trust it, uh, so that we can open it together. And Lord, as we gather as Lake Mac Church, we pray that you would do a miracle amongst us tonight, that these words that I speak won't just be my words, but that they would be yours. And Lord, we long to hear from you. Uh, we come thirsty to the well and ask that you would satisfy our hearts. So Father, we commit this time to you and just pray your blessing over our reading and our speaking tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so if you've been coming along to Lake Mac a little bit, you'd know that our practice here at church is to go through books of the Bible. And so we don't really get to pick what we're going to preach on. Uh, I think Rob probably read the passage and thought, yeah, I'll give 14 to Ben. That's a great one. Thanks, Rob. It's not the easiest passage. So thanks for uh, handing me that one. That's good. Uh, but if you were here last week, you would have heard Rob uh, from chapter 13 talk about and explain, I guess, in terms of the summary of the book of Acts, that the whole book of Acts is really just the ongoing unfolding of God's plan that sometimes you might have heard the book of Acts referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. That's not quite accurate. It's actually more accurate to say that these are the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. And Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, telling what Jesus did while he was on earth, continues to tell now in the book of Acts what Jesus did after he returned to heaven. And so this story that we come to in chapter 14 is really just the ongoing continuation of Jesus' work now that he is alive and in heaven. So let's have a look at the story. Um, and that brings us to point one. There we go. Paul and Barnabas on the mission. So if you've got your Bibles open to chapter 14, I'm actually going to jump back to the start of chapter 13, only because this sets the scene. And this is what it says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 13. 
the disciples are together in a place in Syria and they actually pray. And it says this in verse two and three. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who was also called Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So that sets the groundwork. A great journey, two friends setting out uh, on a mission trip. And maybe you're picturing something like this. Um, I don't know if you watched this series long way around. It was uh, Ewan McGregor and Charles something, I forget. Uh, Great series, uh, very entertaining. But two blokes, motorcycles. Brett, I think you've probably seen that one. Uh, Great journey, Um, a lot of fun and adventure along the way. Or maybe another example, and more accurately, is this one, Lord of the Rings. Sam and Frodo, there they are in Father Maggot's crop, about to head out of the Shire, uh, head across Middle Earth. It's an incredible adventure that they go on. Let me recommend Lord of the Rings to you. Uh, And here we are in Acts, and I want to put this map up. Now, here's our map of Middle Earth today. This is the map that was in front of Paul and Barnabas as they set out. Now, the places that we're particularly looking at today, we'll start off. So they start off at a place called Antioch in Syria, to the bottom right there. Hopefully you can spot that. And the numbers are sort of the flow of direction that they follow. So they first head across to Cyprus, do a bit of evangelism and preaching on Cyprus, head up into modern-day Turkey. That's where Pamphylia is. That's where they land at Italia and go further north to, again, Antioch. They could have thought of a second name that would have been better. But So that's the Pisidian Antioch, that's the one up the top. And that's where we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 14 here. Uh, and then they head across to, so really we wanna focus on Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derby, and they're the four movements of our passage today. So I hope that orients you to what we're talking about. Um, and as I read this passage, I really thought there's not, there's not all that much for me to say. Um, it's a great story, but beyond that, I don't really want to do much but read the story with you guys. Uh, so what we're going to do, we're actually going to read those four movements. I won't read the whole thing, so don't worry. Uh, but I think it'll be helpful to find out what was going on at this time. So the story actually starts at the end of chapter 13. Here are Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. And you can follow along on the screen. This is what it says in verses 49 to uh, 52. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. This is in the Antioch region. Uh, But the Jews incited the God-fearing men, uh, sorry, God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So that's part number one. They finish up their little bit of preaching and teaching in Antioch and move on to Iconium. Now that pattern of Paul and Barnabas going somewhere preaching, experiencing some people coming to life, receiving the Lord Jesus, maybe miracles being performed, and then some rebellion coming up, opposition to the gospel, and then being forced to leave, is really what happens four times in this passage, or three times at least in this passage. So they get to their next location, which is in Iconium, beginning of chapter 14, and you see it happens again. Uh, So let's read the beginning of chapter 14. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent some considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. 
The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews. Uh, thank you. Uh, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot amongst the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Uh, so part number two, Paul and Barnabas, again, similar sort of journey. And we get to what I've called part number three, which takes place in Lystra. Now, this is the story that Mal read out for us. Thanks, Mal. Uh, I won't read the whole thing again, but we've got all the verses up here. You'll see uh, once they arrive in Lystra, they see a man who is lame from birth. Uh, Paul performs a miracle or Jesus performs a miracle through Paul. The man begins to walk and the people are amazed and have an amazing reaction to this and say, wow, this must be Zeus and Hermes, the gods come down to the people. And one of the, the priests from the temple of Zeus brings along bulls and wreaths and presents for these guys. He's going to devote to them. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas's, react, Barnabas's reaction is not probably what I would do at that point. I might have gone, thank you. This is great. Uh, sacrifices for me. I'm a big fan of beef ribs. Liam might have done a brisket. Uh, take advantage of this situation. And maybe you want to just keep the, uh, the sorcery or the trickery going for a couple of days and then go, no, no, guys, it's not me. It's actually God. But that's not Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are very quick. They rush out. They tear their clothes and they say, man, why are you doing this? We are not the gods. We are just coming with the good news to turn from worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth. Uh, and people respond well. A lot of people do turn to God through this, uh, through these events and through this miraculous event. Uh, and yet in verses 19 and 20, so things start off pretty good, but verses 19 and 20, look at what happens. Some Jews come from Antioch. So these guys have been following Paul and Barnabas this whole way, as we looked on that map, they started up in Antioch. They didn't like what they said. They followed them to Iconium. Now they've followed them to Lystra. They come and turn the people against them and they stone Paul and drag him outside the city thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. And now it's a remarkable, truly remarkable story, isn't it? And I want to suggest at this point, imagine... Barnabas is watching this unfold and imagine they had the technology of mobile phones and the people who'd sent Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas on this initial mission happened to call Barnabas just at this time to do a bit of a check-in, maybe a Zoom call, a mission update uh, and Barnabas answers the phone while Paul's been stoned to death and, and they just go, hey, hey Barnabas, we just want to check on you, see how things are going, what's the latest on the mission? Uh, what would Barnabas have said? I don't things are, things are good, yep. Uh, yep, a bit up and down sometimes. Uh, Paul can't quite come to the phone right now. But um, yeah, no, no, things are, yeah. Oh, look, we've had some challenges, but uh, look, now's not the best of times. I, I might just have to call you back. Yeah, people are repenting right now. I have to go, I have to go. Uh, so at this point on the journey, it's not so great. Uh, when you think your main protagonist has died, uh, the mission has been derailed. And yet... Uh, I think verse 20 is remarkable, isn't it? Paul has literally died. He gets back up. A miracle takes place. He gets back up, shakes the dust off himself and goes, let's keep going. And they just go to the next town to keep evangelizing, to keep telling the people the good news of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think I would have probably said at this point, my role's done. I'm heading back home for a nice hot bath with uh, some Epsom salts or something. That would be good. Uh, but... 
That is not the Paul and Barnabas of the story. And finally, they get to what I'm calling section four, story number four. And we find that against the odds, the mission continues. The mission is still on track. So have a look with me right at the end of chapter 14, verses 21 to 28. This is what it says. So Paul and Barnabas, that is, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. This is in Derby where they go. And they then returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. See, even though things looked pretty bad at some points along the journey, they actually don't give up. They go back through the cities where they've faced this opposition, back to where they died uh, because they had a mission and they wanted to fulfil it and they come back to where they were sent out and there is great celebration, I'm sure, when they get back and tell the good news. Now, it's a bit like, I don't want to you know, harp on the Lord of the, the Rings thing if that's not your thing, but it's a bit like what happened on the story of the Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with it, on the mission that this fellowship sets out to go to Mordor to destroy <clears throat> the one true ring to rule them all. Uh, along the way, there are challenges. Along the way, there are moments of temptation and sidetracking, remarkable highs and lows, and times where they might have, the, the hobbits might have thought, this is not a bad place to stop. And our part in the story is complete. But Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul makes very clear that he knows what the mission is about. And what's the mission about? Look at what he says in chapter 14, verse 22. He says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I think that's specific language from Paul to identify that he knows what the mission is all about. It's all about the kingdom of God. Just like Frodo and Sam keep going to get to Mordor, Paul and Barnabas keep going for the kingdom of God. And this is a little summary of that on the screen. So this is not just a random assortment of events. It's not just nice stories. Jesus is working through his spirit, through his disciples, and bringing about his plans and purposes, building his kingdom. The mission continues because ultimately, while Paul and Barnabas are on the mission, God is on the mission. And that's our next point. God, if you like, or Jesus is on the mission. Now, the good news of Jesus going out to the Gentiles, as we've seen in this passage, is an incredibly significant moment in history. Uh, see, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that it's actually the fulfillment of many, many years of prophecy, which in some ways begins right at the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, which is on the screen over here, you'll see uh, when God shows up to Abraham uh, for the very first time, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in there we see in a very small way that God always intended that the message, that the good news, that the salvation and the hope that he brang was not just going to be limited to the descendants of Abraham, but it was going to be for all people. And throughout 
the Old Testament, you might go, has God deviated from this plan because so far it just involves the people of Israel? Well, no, because actually in Isaiah, and it comes up again and again, I'm just picking a couple of examples here. In Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, it shows that God is still on with this same mission. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back uh, those of Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly the wording actually from Isaiah 49 verse 6 that Paul picks up on in chapter 13 verse 47 when he describes this mission. So again, this is not just a random event, a random assortment of stories. Jesus is at work right here through his spirit and through his disciples, bringing about his plans and purposes, building his kingdom in the way that he had always been doing throughout history. Specific, powerful and purposeful action. See, God could have sent Paul and Barnabas to do some other things. He could have sent them to fix poverty in Asia Minor, to deal with the issues of corruption in the Roman Empire, or to address the issues of slavery that were prevalent at the time. But he doesn't, because he's got a priority. His mission has always been that the gospel would go to the Gentiles, that these two men would go on this journey at this time in history to speak to these men and women in Turkey, to continue doing what he's always been doing, showing mercy, kindness and love to undeserving people. See, God is primarily concerned with his mission. And I think that's the key, the important thing, the incredibly important thing for us to understand today, here and now, with everything that's going on around us. Don't we all have days that we just wish that God would operate a little bit more like a genie? Or that our priorities would be a little bit more quickly answered by God? that God would just click his fingers and the things that we pray for would happen, like the war in Ukraine would stop, or that our family member who's wrestling with cancer would be healed, or that COVID would cease, or that the weather would be nice for our daughter's birthday on the weekend. See, many times we ask for these things and then we get really disappointed that they don't happen and we start to think, well, my things are not a priority to God. And it's important for us to know that they're important to God, but ultimately God is on a mission. And we are not at the centre of the story. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, and maybe you thought that you were, maybe you thought your life was starring in the middle of your own little indie hipster film. But the story is not about you and I. God is the one at the centre of the story. He's actually the main character. This life, this existence that we're all in is about him first and foremost and his priorities. And he is a loving, kind and caring God who knows what our biggest need is. And he wants all people to see and to believe in his son, Jesus. And so his priority is the building of his kingdom. The things that are important to us are important to God because he is a loving God. So I'm not discouraging you from praying for those things like your, the weather on your daughter's party on the weekend. But ultimately... God has a real plan, a real purpose and priority. He is on a mission. And I want to suggest that the mission is worth your life or our lives. So the question is, how similar then are our priorities to God's priorities? I think a, a, a sort of a way of understanding this is to ask, well, what is the great Aussie dream? Is it to own our own home? Is it to make sure that our kids get into a good private school or university? 
Is it that we might live until at least 75? I think it's a good starting point, you know, hopefully a bit beyond 75. But, you know, to enjoy a little bit of our retirement, get, get access to that super. Hopefully we haven't taken all of it out to buy our first home. Uh, and yet to end up at a point where we can enjoy our lives. Or is the Aussie dream maybe just to own one fancy car, at least one throughout your lifetime? Don't, let's not be, you know, reckless. Or is it to try and be kind to the people around us, you know, occasionally to mow your neighbour's lawn, uh, take the bins out for them, give yourself a pat on the back and feel good about things? See, when Paul's preaching in Lystra, he talks about God's priorities and he says his priority is that we would turn, you would turn from worthless things to the living God. How many people around us, maybe even ourselves, are living for worthless things when it comes to the kingdom of God? Do we value, in fact, the same things that God values? See, Matthew 6, verse 33, a verse all of us know well, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That's the priority of the Bible. And, I'm, and I should say, I'm not sharing this as someone here who's got his priorities right. I'm not sharing this as the preacher who's saying to you, now you go and, and get this right and figure it out. Uh, it's a constant battle for me, and I'm sure it's a battle for you, uh, one of the ways that I feel this most is as a parent, what are my priorities for my children? Uh, do I want them to grow up and get a good education and then have a you know, successful job? End up with a, a good degree, a good partner, and, and then I'll be happy. Or is my priority that my children would live for the kingdom? Uh, that they would put aside their wants, their desires, and serve this greater mission that God is on about, that Jesus is seeking to do in this world? It's a daily battle, and it's a battle not just to die for God's kingdom, but actually to live for Him. See, I want to say, sometimes we say, is it, is it a big enough deal that we would die for it? I would argue that dying is actually the easy part, and living is harder than dying. See, for Paul to die, he just had to stand there and people threw rocks at him, and he died. And the mission looked like it was going to be derailed, but it didn't look like it was going to be derailed because Paul was dead. It looked like it was going to be derailed because what was going to happen when Paul got up? He had to choose again to live for this mission, to go. So what about you and I on a day-to-day -day basis, making those daily decisions to get up again and to go? Where are we going to put our time, our talent and our treasure? Because it's going to put us at odds with the world around us. It's a battle. And the devil, let's not be mistaken, I know as a church we don't always talk about the devil being active amongst us, but he is. And the reality is that he doesn't want us to, to succeed. He doesn't want God's mission to succeed. And so he is going to be fighting against us tooth and nail through ideas that we see on TV, through comfort that we feel at home, through doubt when we read those articles on the internet. And we are going to need grace each and every day to fight the battle to stay focused on the mission in a daily and consistent way. So I want to say, if you feel defeated today, take heart. The mission is ongoing. Cry out for grace and God will deliver you. See, Paul Tripp, one of my favourite authors, puts it this way. He says, so cry out for grace. The war between God's will and your will has not yet ended. So cry out for grace. There is a daily battle going on in each of our souls to get on board with God's mission, to put aside our will and to pursue His will. And we need to cry out for the grace that we would choose to pursue God's will each day. Now, finally, 
I wanted to, I wanted to ask, as I, as I thought these things through myself, well, if it was true, if it was true that God's mission is the most important thing and I want to live for it, well, what three things would this change in my life? What would it actually look like? And there were three things that came to mind. Firstly, uh, incredible comfort and confidence. So how should you feel after hearing these things? I, I, I think it's, it's a comforting thing to know in the midst of everything that's going on around us, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a, a, a federal election going on next weekend, regardless of who gets elected, God's mission is going to continue. Uh, whether they make, you know, uh, the, what was the thing about the religious freedoms? If that legislation comes to pass, if churches have to close, if we have to go underground, God's mission will not be thwarted. Uh, we see it here in Acts and we know that it's still ongoing now. And I think that's a really encouraging and comforting thought. Number two, uh, the things that would happen if this was actually true is that I think we would probably, probably speak up a little bit more for our faith. Uh, because if we believe that God's deepest desire is to see all people saved, we would know that that's far more important than our momentary discomfort of feeling embarrassed or ashamed. This is what God is all about. So how can we participate in that? We would actually want to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And number three, our, it would actually impact our priorities. And one of the ways that we can get access to our priorities is, is to think about the things that we pray about. Now, I'm part of a, a growth group here at church, and I'm not having to go at anyone in my growth group by any means, but I think you probably can relate to this if you've ever been part of a growth group. You know those awkward times when you pray, and you say, has anyone got any prayer points? And someone says, yeah, my, my grandma's cousin's daughter is going through marital issues. Let's pray for that. I'm not having a go at any of that stuff. But I think what it does is it reveals our priorities when it comes to what we want to pray about. How often are our prayer points connected to the kingdom of God? God, we pray that you would be working through our missionaries over in Asia. God, we pray that you'll be sending out more missionaries to tell the good news. God, we pray for churches in our neighborhood to be preaching the gospel clearly and faithfully, that more and more people will be coming to life. Let's make those our prayer priorities. Let's make sure that our vision, our priorities align with God's priorities, because as they do, then the other things will take their rightful place. If God is in the number one spot, everything else seems to somehow fall in place. There's a song that we sing to our kids, and I'm sure you're all familiar with it. And one of the verses says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's get on board with God's mission. Let's put him in the rightful spot at number one and everything else will take on its rightful priority as well. So I pray that as we've looked at these things this afternoon, it's been encouraging, not disheartening, uh, but that you've actually gone, yeah, I want to get on board with God's mission and, on, and keep on track with that mission to see all lives changed for his glory. And maybe that's worth your life and my life, that God's mission is on track and that this mission is truly worth our lives so let's go and live on mission together this week. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you uh, again that you have entrusted us with your word. And Lord, you haven't left us squandering around in the dark, looking for direction and meaning and purpose uh, as our world loves to do, Lord. But you've given us ultimate meaning and purpose in Christ. Father, thank you that Paul and Barnabas faithfully obeyed and showed us what it looks like to go through hardship and suffering and yet pursue 
the mission that is bigger than any one of us. And Lord, we confess that at times we get sidetracked. We confess at times that our priorities are not your priorities. And Father, I pray in my own heart, in my own life, that you would win that battle, that you would provide grace today so that my will would be submitted to your will, so that our wills would be submitted to your will and so that we could be on board with your mission into Morissette uh, and into the ends of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I need to hang around? Yeah, question time. All right. I've got a microphone here if anyone wants to pepper Ben with questions. Uh, good to remember that Ben is a master of theology on paper, uh, so he should be well equipped to answer any questions. That was questions a long time have. ago, Rob. So... Oh, Liam's going. The Bachelor of Theology will ask. <laughs> um, so, thank you for that, Ben. Um, yeah, really appreciate it, really challenging. What, uh, yeah, Paul. Did he die or did he appear dead? Because I only thought he was dead. You said he died. Well, he got stoned. Yeah. Do you want to explain what a old, old school stoning? <laughs> was it Mal? I heard a Bible study. Mal said he's been stoned plenty of times. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a regained consciousness. So, uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I guess there's two ways you can look at it. Um, if you're getting big, huge rocks thrown at you, it was a pretty normal punishment at those times to, and a, a way of execution to take someone outside the city and throw rocks at them until they died. Um, so I think people were pretty good at it and could identify if they'd succeeded, uh, whether they had a runner to go down and check for a pulse, I don't know. Um, either way, if you got hit in the head with a pretty big rock and it knocked you out, um, I'd suggest on a human level, you could look dead. Um, so maybe he wasn't truly dead. Um, and maybe he was and he was restored to life. The, the text just doesn't tell us. But either way, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Hannah? That was great, Ben. Thank you. Um, I agree with you. If you, st if you get stoned with huge rocks, I think you're dead. Mm. Um, and I think they probably um, had seen other people who'd been stoned. Um, my question about the stoning is... However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. So I'm assuming they gathered around him and prayed. And yeah, yeah, God, I assume the same God thing. Made the miracle. Yeah. 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 So you, yeah. Yeah, I agree with okay. that. Yeah, Thank I think you. that's probably what happened. Thanks. Sue. I think it's pretty amazing that the pagans were overwhelmed when he made the guy walk but they didn't seem to have much of an opinion on someone coming back from the dead but what I wanted to say is that I just think it's really incredible because how many times do you say if you ask somebody out to a, an event and they don't come it's you re they're rejecting God not you mm. these people are stoned because of God and they're saying it's okay it's not me it's not personal and I'm just yeah. really overwhelmed by the humility and the faith they had in God. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. I like Sue's questions because they're often observations rather than questions. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Any more? All right. Here I come. Um, I, I just couldn't tell which verse it was, but when um, they shake the dust off their feet and mm. move on, yeah. Are there times in our lives where we shake the dust off our feet and 
move on and say we'll hand this situation over to God? Yeah, good question. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's a bit of Jesus tells the disciples in, in one of the Gospels that that's a symbol of when they've gone into a town, preached the good news and people are rejecting them, that that's what they do. They actually shake the dust off their feet and move on. Yeah, great question, Lyndon. Um, there's an element of me that wants to say, I don't know. Um, but I think for us, so what are the, the helpful things for us to learn from that? It's, you know, we want to be serious about the mission and, and being on uh, mission for Jesus. Um, and so when do we know that, no, nah, this is enough and we need to move on? Yeah, a lot of prayer, a lot of... Um, and, and taking a long, hard look at yourself and probably seeking advice from others around you rather than just going, no, nah, I think we're done um, because we feel uncomfortable. But I think also um, God God works with our personalities and tendencies as well. I don't know if that's a theologically accurate thing to say. I've got a master's of theology, so it's, it's true. Um, no, but uh, I think when, yeah... For different people, different things will be hard. And so I don't know if Jeremy and Miri might have examples um, on the field where someone who might have a different personality could actually work in a certain place in the world and continue. But for others, it might be way too hard to, to do that particular ministry. And so it'll be different for everyone. That's kind of what I want to say. So that, that point of departure and saying it's enough, you probably need to be, and I think God's okay with us going, hey, this is enough. Um, but also, you know, wanting to go seriously, the spirit can work and do remarkable and amazing things. So maybe I stick this out a little bit longer and see what he does. So yeah, I don't have a strict, like, this is the rule kind of answer for you, but hopefully some of that will inform an answer. Yeah. So it's a bit of a cop out.